Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Time once again for T Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Thursday, July the 13th, 2023. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL alongside site publisher Tim Watts. And Tim, do we have a few things to talk about today? We've got a run on commitments for the Alabama football program. We'll talk some Alabama men's basketball, some Brandon Miller and company. In the NBA Summer League, we'll give you some of our thoughts on those guys. And, of course, uh, we're going to talk some Alabama football team in general. I think we'll get into the outside linebackers a little bit today. Some reasonable expectations for Alabama's outside linebackers during the 2023 season. But, of course, Tim, so much to cover on the recruiting front as going back to the weekend, this previous weekend, A busy, busy Sunday, and that has turned into a busy start to the week. Most recently, Casey Poe, the outstanding offensive line prospect from Texas, commits to Alabama. But kind of give us an idea where we're at in all this at this point. Yeah, I mean, you look at Sunday. I mean, we, you, you know, it's any time you think you have a, you know, everything's scheduled out. You know, certain times of the year, June, July, November, December, they're particularly bad for recruiting. We came in, we were way, way ahead, ready for Xavier Brown. We knew what was coming. We knew when it was coming. We had all that covered. Then all of a sudden, me and Andrew Bones start getting calls. And 2026, <laughs> offensive linemen are, you know, Zaki Helton's deciding to commit. And then I'm not even going to attempt his last name, but the German linebacker, Justin, I'm going to try it. Okun Cow. I doubt I'm close. Oka Ronquo is what I'm going with, but I'm with you. Justin Oka Ronquo from Munich, Germany, Tim. Think it like it's spelled. I don't have any, you know, <laughs> think like it's 
I say it's like it's Pelham High School, punk, you know, uh, I just say it how we say it at Pelham. But they had um, both of those guys decided to commit right before Zabian. Zabian, of course, the top 100 guy, uh, you know, one of the best offensive linemen, in the defensive cornerbacks <laughs> in the country to go with two guys they've already got. So Sunday, a very calm Sunday. And I remember saying, hey, you know, we're going to I'm going to watch this F1 fight. Around noon, I ordered Cat's Deli from New York, which we love, the pastrami. I said, get all the kids. We're going to eat lunch at noon, and then all hell broke loose. So, <laughs> uh, as you figure. But it was a good day. I mean, it was a fun day. You know, you get to learn about Zaki Helton. Again, you know, 2026 kid going into his sophomore year. Center for Julian Lewis. You know, that makes it kind of fun. You know, he's one of the elite quarterbacks in the nation, even though he's 2026 class right now. And, of course, they're both teammates at Caleb Oden who's got a decision coming up in the future. So that goes pretty good. And then the, you know, the German linebacker, that's just a good story. You know, you get him on campus, his numbers everywhere. He had a four or five on, at camp. Is that, is that four, five, accurate? Four, maybe? I mean, he had, he had Georgia numbers. He had Bama numbers. I mean, the, the obvious is with him. And I look at the sideline, I look at the, who he's playing and I don't know. Everybody wants to beat up who he's playing, but I can tell you this, it's not worse than 1A football in Alabama or Georgia or, or that. I've seen 1A football. I've seen 2A football. I've seen 3A football. Those guys aren't any worse than that. So, you know, you get that when people start looking to criticize somebody, they're like, look who he's playing. Well, there's been a lot of guys. You can't really help you where you're at, you know? I mean, of course, you can go to IMG or something. But, you know, when you look at who he's playing against, I don't know. I know there's some big guys out there, and it looks kind of like, I don't understand the German season. It's my understanding they're playing right now in some kind of possibly a 19 and under league. So um, definitely a little bit different overall. But when, you know, the one thing you can't deny is the athlete he is. Alabama had him work out as a rush end and inside linebacker is my understanding. And here's a guy playing safety, you know, and I'll tell you what, he will hit you. So worst case scenario is he's a gunner. He's a guy on special teams flying down which he does flying down and, and knocking the heck out of somebody while he while he learns the position if you're 6'3 225 and running a 4-5 there's going to be a place for you at the highest level of college football i don't care if you're in germany australia uh finland wherever there, there's going to be a place for you and so it is a great story but i think it has the potential to be more and sometimes tim i think coaches these days look at a guy like Okoronkwo and think this is a this is a a, a a clean slate this is a this is a a canvas that we can create with that doesn't already have some preconceptions about how he should play or what's right or what's wrong in other words you aren't going to probably have to debrief him or you know rewire him you're going to be able to build him i would think exactly the way you want to build him that makes him a bit of a project i guess you could say but i would think that's in a good way yeah i mean you look you know you never know how quick you don't know how what somebody's aptitude is for learning a position inside backer probably is hard for mm -hmm. guys to learn that system a lot of times they're the quarterbacks uh of the defense which is a you know pretty uh you know scheme wise it's pretty uh you know, tough to figure out. But again, he could be a rush end. I wouldn't rule. I mean, I know I'm the only one throwing this out there, but H back, I wouldn't rule H back off the table. When you look at, now I don't know if he can catch the ball, but I do know he has interceptions. He's returning punts 
in a few occasions and all that. But you look at that guy, there's a lot of things you can find for him. And, you know, it's not unheard of. There's guys that uh, the Eagles, the Eagles drafted. I think their starting left tackle was a rugby player. I don't think he ever played football, football. Um, what was the dude's name from BYU? Was it uh, Ezekiel somebody? Ansel or something like that. He played at BYU. I think he tried out for every sport, went to football, ended up being a like a top five pick for the Detroit Lions at one point. You remember? Hold on. They yes. Yes. The Ziggy. defensive lineman. Ziggy. He was a defensive end. Alden Ziggy tried out yeah. for every sport, including badminton and fencing at BYU. Ended up on the football field. I don't think had ever really played before. And, um, you know, next thing you know, he's a top five pick. So, of course, you can only do that if you're a you're a really good athlete, which Justin is. And I'm certainly not saying he's going to be that level, but you got just what he figures out on the football field will be will determine how quickly he plays and at what level he plays. But again, all that happened before Xavier Brown and Xavier to me. And I know you feel the same way. Xavier to me is as about a complete a cornerback as you're going to get. You beat USC. Go into, you know, Matter Day, Bryce Young, all those guys. They got all those recruits this year. But you go in there, you beat USC where he's very familiar with the campus. And, of course, you know, you know, T-Rob's obviously heavy and heavily involved there. But Nick Saban, that pays off. Nick Saban is so hands-on with this, the, 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 uh, the secondary, the corners especially, that a lot – that just plays a huge factor for a lot of these kids. They all say, I want to play for the GOAT. You know, I want to be coached by the GOAT. And when you look at the NFL, I mean, I think didn't we see a list this week where yeah, Pat corners. the number one cornerback in the country uh, in the NFL wasn't that the yeah. rank? So again, they got they had three or four guys on that list. I think they had Diggs, they had Marlin, maybe one more, but yeah, Alabama's pretty pretty well known at cornerback. So big day Sunday, and then Casey Poe, you know, big interior offensive lineman. Charles Powers has him ranked number one. I won't argue with him. Um, you can look at him and figure out who you like. There's, you know, I've seen a lot of Landon Dickerson comparisons and all, but all I know is the guy has gotten bigger the last two years. He carries the weight really well. He pulls a lot. He grinds a lot. He doesn't mind putting his hands on you heavy handed. He'll move you. And he's got that mean, nasty streak on the field that you wanted an offensive lineman. Cause let's be real. They're in a fight. You know, they're not playing football. They are, <laughs> they are sumo wrestling out there. So a lot to like about what's happened with this week. Um, even from the first, you know, it, you know, it kicked off. You know, we said July would be big, and we kick it off with uh, Jameer Grimsley, you know, another top 100 cornerback. And so that momentum just carried through. And uh, it's the, was it the 13th today? So we still got some month left. Yeah, there's plenty more to come. And look, it's been a nice mix, especially when you talk about the big guys and Poe and Helton when when looking to 2024 and even beyond. And with Helton, maybe maybe the most positive aspect of that is that, yes, in fact, Nick Saban is still considering prospects for as far out as 2026. He's not slowing down when it comes to future classes, uh, even at the age of 70, 71 years old. Um but the defensive run has been impressive. Brown, Okoronkwo, uh, and another guy that I don't know if we've been able to touch on because he kind of fell in the middle of all this was Isaiah Fanga, the defensive lineman from Phoenix City who flipped from Utah uh, to Alabama. So uh, a nice pickup there. You talked about Grimsley. Um, and again, 
what you said. It it doesn't look like this commitment run is is done anytime soon. You got a real possibility coming up. I think it's this weekend, right, with Caleb Odom, the four star tight end yes. from Carrollton, Georgia. Yeah, it is. And when you start looking, if they can add these pieces to what they've already got in this class, and I know the class, you know, I think the class is frustrating. You know, I see the complaints and the gripes, but it takes a while to put together a great class. You know what I mean? You can't, you just don't run out there and grab it. And every time you get a commitment, it changes. I mean, you get, you know, you get Casey Poe, you might want three interior offensive linemen. William Sanders is still out there. So when you get somebody, that kind of takes somebody else a little bit off the board, or maybe you have to take them from that interior offensive lineman to the best of the best pile. And then, you know, at the end of the year, they might have two spots for simply too good to pass up based on needs or talent. So this board is going to shuffle, but you see it slowly coming together. And it is kind of like watching a painting as the artist is painting. And every now and then you'll be like, oh, now I see it. But you're seeing the defense hit pretty heavy. The offense went heavy early on. So a lot to like about the direction of this class. And the one thing is, you know, and I've, I address this every year, the Bama bump. I mean, it's kind of silly to me to think that every analyst in 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 these little, at these companies, Charles Power and, and Cody Belair do it. There's two people at every place. There's somewhere between two and seven or eight people. It's kind of naive to think that these guys have an advantage over the University of Alabama. I mean, they have a they have a thick notebook starting with seventh, eighth, ninth graders, you know, that they go through and then they follow them their whole career. They're so far ahead of the curve. So when a three-star commits, and we say this every year, a three-star in July isn't a three-star in December or February. And we've seen guys like that rise up. So I think when the rankings come in, because we, we hear it a lot, why is this guy, why is Bama taking three stars? I mean, first of all, I don't think Bama cares about that. That's the most obvious thing. The second of all, the three stars, the four stars, none of the none of that's decided. So I just think you have to play it. And, you know, the rankings came out this week and on three put them out. You had fan bases just absolutely all right. They came for Charles Power on the social media. They came for him, Tim. Florida, Florida came after him. But, you know, they're mad. You know, Florida's a mad fan base. You know that more than it. You know that. Yeah, they are. And it, it, it's, it's a frustrated fan base at a minimum. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. blaming them. I get, I mean, you know, we dealt with that kind of with the Shula era. Been a know, rough stretch. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you go from an unbelievably proud Steve Spurrier era to, a, you know, an Urban Meyer successful era on the field. And then you have this lull since then. I get it. But I mean, Charles Powers is not, I mean, he's the, you know, he's the best. I'm 20 something years in this business. He's it's not even close. Who's the best? Who's the most thorough? Who's the most unbiased? The dude literally doesn't care. He doesn't care. He'll have some dude from Cincinnati, and he did this a year or two ago, in his top 50, his top 60 uh, quarterback. So he he just doesn't care. He's looking at the guys he feels that he likes as far as talent goes. But the rankings are still working in progress. We still have a senior year to judge these guys on. So. Yeah. Um, it's kind of good to see, but it is, I think people that love recruiting love the ebb and flow of that too. They love the three-star, four-star, five-star. I mean, two guys that stand out to me when it comes to recruiting rankings was Will Anderson and, and, you know, nobody remembers when they were, you know, when they were, when they were dumb, nobody remembers saying, who is Will Anderson? Why are we, he was not highly ranked. You remember this on the old BOL, mm-hmm. remember well, BOL's BOL. 
But he wasn't that highly ranked. Nobody was jazzed up. And then he ends up top five. And another guy that took forever for a lot of people to catch up on last year was Yonze Pierre, who Bama took as a uh, three-star. And, you know, one thing these two have in common is they went to June camp, and all of a sudden we're hearing sources tell us they were absolute Tasmanian devils, just absolute monsters at the camp and dominated. So – And even at the end of the process, right, Pierre and Will dominated at all-star game workouts, I think, had something to do with their boost. As you said, it it literally took the entire process before some of these guys reached their ranking ceilings, I guess. Yeah, and also those guys, you know, some guys, when it comes to rankings, have to really prove themselves. Will Anderson checked every one of his boxes in a couple of years. You know what I mean? He did everything, and so did Pierre. Very similar as far as their how their ranking rise went. But I love it. I think most fans love it. We like to argue about it and and yap about it. But uh, it was a it was an interesting week recruiting wise. Bama fans did great. Julian Sane went to the number one quarterback. I know Georgia fans are upset. Here's the truth: Julian Sane won the Elite Eleven, and at the end of the day, that's not the end all be all. But he also put out junior film, which, you know, not everybody he was competing with for that number one spot did. So, you know, you can't judge something you can't see. Also, again, it's July. The difference between the Alabama and Georgia recruit, one is seven, one is 11. It's not a massive difference right now. So I think this senior year is going to play a big deal. But it was good to see Julian, who I'm a fan of, uh, you know, kind of get that recognition because I am a fan. I think he has a good arm. I think he's extremely accurate. And I bet he's, you know, I bet he's a tremendous dart player. You know what I mean? He just sticks him in there. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you have well, to, you know what I like? The one thing I'll say anybody negative on Julian starts referring to him as a sub six foot quarterback, even though we got a measurement on him in the database, he's six foot and a half. So well, there was a picture this week of him standing side by side with Drew Brees. Yes. Right. I yes, mean, the, that, that was confirmation enough for me. Was that three inches taller? Maybe how big? How much? It, was, it was taller. I mean, so not that it should matter on the heels of what the hell Bryce Young just did. You know, yeah. the last couple of years. I mean, Baker Mayfield, a lot of those guys aren't aren't six foot six. Yeah. And and look, you know. Charles Power doesn't need me to chime in on his behalf. You're plenty uh, because you you've done this to the extent that you have over three or four decades. And uh, but I'm with you uh, of the of the people I know that do what he does. I wouldn't take anyone over Charles Power. And you talked about the the rankings and the updates here. I guess uh, uh, there was good news for uh, an Alabama target and a nearby Alabama target from Brookwood High School, and William Sanders also moved up, I saw. Dude, how do you not like this guy? You know what I mean? I, mean I, feel, I feel like him and Casey Poe got a little yin and yang themselves going on when you look at guys. Um, uh, big guy pulling half the time. Looks like he's almost running some kind of you know trick play where they're going to do a – what was that What was that show, shuttle pass? What was that thing they used to do where they pitched it to the guy coming like a- like a fumble ruski almost, you know. He just coming in motion. Looks like he's running around. Big guy, <laughs> quiet, very athletic. You know, a lot to like. Just a guy that's been very quiet in the process. He's a top damn target. He moved up considerably. Um, I think he's borderline and on top 100 in the country. To me, that just proves again going back to Charles. He's going to be ahead of the curve on a lot of these guys. 
because he is a, you know, he's a, he's a film savant as far as the effort. He can watch it to where most of us would have migraine headaches and want to retire, but he loves that film, you know, and he loves the analytics. So, but this is a guy on film that jumps out, hopefully deciding sometime in July. I feel like Alabama's in a good shape, but you look at him, you know, Joseph, uh, what's his last name? The, the, Ianata, is that his last name? Yes, yes. The, the the interior offensive lineman in Alabama already has committed. Names. I mean, I'm literally calling half this class Steve. You know, like the <laughs> like I'm not saying a lot of these last. That one's not too bad. But when you look at him, he committed early. You add Casey Poe. If you can add William Sanders going into what you had last year, right? You had all those tackle type prospects. This year, you get all these interior guys you're going to have quite the little mismatch over a two-year window when you look up where you're going to have you know you know eight i don't know eight or nine guys that really fit the same mold and of course you know offensive line coach wolf eric wolford is putting it together and you know leading and it's a team effort obviously you know um you know one thing i've been confused of going on the sidebar here is like i see fans talking about there's not enough guys at this position the position coach needs to go find them. That is not how Alabama recruits. If there's not enough wide receivers, that's on the area coaches. You know, Hallman Wiggins isn't driving around the country in a van, you know, hitting every high school and trying to, you know, find wide receivers. Area brings it to position. Position takes it to coordinator. Coordinator takes it to the board, to the big man. So um, that's a little sidebar. I've noticed some of the debates with rankings the last two weeks. There you go. Little uh, little inside baseball from Tim Watts on the recruiting front there for you. Hey, Tim, let's get into some hoops, and then we'll shift back towards football. We'll have the roundtable mailbag coming up later in the program as well. A lot of talk on the roundtable and elsewhere about the start to the NBA career for Brandon Miller, picked number two overall in the 2023 NBA draft by the Charlotte Hornets. Brandon has has had some up and down performances. Now again, a lot of things you got to take into account. First and foremost, it's summer league, okay? Uh, but he did silence the critics. Uh, I would say a little bit at least here in the last couple of nights. Uh, great performance against the Trailblazers. Twenty six point six rebounds, two assists. Really seemed to settle in in terms of shooting the basketball. Uh, and so what are your thoughts on Brandon Miller again in summer league basketball? Yeah, I find it funny. You know, I love the summer league, but, you know, I'm not normal. I like the ball. If the ball's bouncing, I like to watch it. But I am aware it is summer league. You know, the first couple of games with with Miller, I felt it. I just thought he wasn't aggressive, but he was facilitating. I think he had five or six assists in each games and. Stayed in foul trouble, not moving his feet, definitely adjusting to the speed and strength of the game. Also, the summer league, it's easy to get fouls because they give you 10. I'm not even sure. I love that rule. (laughs) I'd be curious if anybody's ever got 10 and they absolutely disqualified them from a summer game. I just feel like they're not throwing anybody. If you get to 10, you shouldn't be able to play in the next game. It should be like a one game suspension on top of it. You should have to go back to college. Let's be honest. You <laughs> in a damn summer league game, you go back to college. But he, uh, so he's a little bit tentative, but then, you know, he came up, he played the French guy and, you know, Frenchie and uh, uh, Miller got, you know, obviously they're not going head to head, but they are the number one, number two picks. And he looked great. 
Um, Frenchy blocked one of his shots. Wasn't his good game. And again, uh, he's kind of going, the Spurs kid's kind of going through his first summer league game, similar to what Brandon went through his first, adjusting to it. And I know this isn't, I get it's not the NBA roster, but these are NBA caliber players. I mean, these are the best of the best of the young guys, the guys that don't really play. A lot of these guys are on NBA rosters. You know, I see Dyson Daniels for the Pelicans. And, you know, I, I think I saw Shaden Sharp the other night. There's talented guys in this that that play in this. Um, but he crossed him over a few times, took him to the basket, used his body. Brandon was way more aggressive getting his shots the last two games. I mean, you can see what he is. But I agree with you. I mean, when Brandon wasn't at his best the first game, I didn't panic. I wasn't like, oh, Lord, this is, you know, he's not going to be ready. And then when he did great his last two games, I'm not like, yep, I told you, you know, NBA Hall of Fame, here we go. So this is summer league. You know, you could, you know, you're in, you know, you're, you're, you're adjusting to everything literally as your first pro experience. And it's not, they're not really running plays. You know, this is, you know, this is a, this is a playing football with your bigger cousin. You know, you're just out there when you get the ball, it's just, you, you, you basically going to do what you want to do those first couple of games, get your shot. Brandon was open a lot on the wing, a lot where he had set up. You got cats trying to make a roster, man. They're not giving it up. And I'm not it's judging Get them. mine league is what it is. And Brandon's out here passing the ball, getting to the wing, getting open, you know, you know, hands ready to shoot. He's playing basketball. He's not yeah. playing make the team. Yeah, and because yeah. they're saying, you know, dude, you're on the team. Go sit. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you even out here? You know what I mean? So, uh, but I, I mean, I liked it. I liked. I thought Brandon did a good job. Betty Yako had a little, had a couple of moments um, of his own. I haven't really seen a lot of clowning, to be honest. I don't think I've seen him at all, in fact, but. Had a um, decent game a few nights ago. I think he had eight point seven rebounds. Did yeah, his, did clowny stuff. Yeah, I like clown. I mean, he got the you know. How about the, Keon Ellis, man? This dude it, is just—he's gonna stick at some get, point. Uh, yeah, you know? he's excited. His hair's green, right? I mean, it's a weird color. He's got Keon. Keon. So yeah. you can, yeah, so you can see him out there. But you know, one thing that stood out to me about Keon. Keon doesn't know those summer league games are not the NBA championship. He's a <laughs> Taking charges. And he shit. is. He's out there arguing with the refs. It's like, dude, you got not. You're like a cat. You got ten lives out here. You got two fouls. You're good. But Keon's competitive now. He's getting after. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's getting after you. You know, I, you're right. I think he'll make a team. Um, uh, JD Davison got the two way deal. Saw that yeah, the other day. He said to make like I think you know everybody's saying it's a mistake. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. Clowney signs like a $15 million a year. That is not the mistakes I made at 18. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't make mistakes like that. I did not make mistakes where I banked $15 million. JD said to make like 1.7 maybe this year. Very good amount if I read his contract right. I think he made 500 last year and 1.7 or something this year, which was more than I expected. But, yeah, I mean, these guys are having a chance to show, and it's fun to watch you know, I'd watch them anyways, but with the Bama guys in there, it's a little, little, little more fun in there when you're watching it. Kind of as an extension of all this, uh, primary to what we talk about, uh, do you think this Alabama men's basketball roster is set now? We didn't really have the opportunity uh, since we last met to talk about the addition of Muhammad Wagi, the 6'10 post previously of West Virginia, originally from the boogie down Bronx, Waggy took the junior college route out of high school before landing in Morgantown. 
Uh, in his only season with the Mountaineers, Waggy appeared in 28 games, averaged 10.6 minutes per contest, 4.1 points, and 3.1 rebounds. I guess for the sake of comparison, if you look at Waggy, what he gave West Virginia last season, almost identical to what Nick Pringle gave Alabama last season. So um, if you're thinking that Pringle is ready to take a significant step in his second season at the Division One level, maybe maybe the same could be true of Waggy as far as what he might be able to give this team. Although, I think if you're Nate Oates and, and you're thinking about uh, Grant Nelson and Pringle and what you have now, even if Waggy gives you something in the neighborhood of 12, 15 minutes a game, would you be pretty happy with that, Tim? Yeah, you know, the thing about him is his highlights are really nice. When you see the things... You know, obviously, you know, averaging four points a game, that's not the norm. But he's got he's got skills. I mean, it might be mm-hmm. skills that he's still developing or wanting to be consistent with, which wouldn't surprise anybody. But his his highlight tape is impressive. He's a big guy. He's athletic. And absolutely, you'll take a guy like this every day of the week, especially unexpectedly losing, you know, Betty Yako. Um, You know me, I'm still in the boat that Clowney definitely should have went pro. I know felt JD should go pro. I'm always going to say I think Charles should have came back for another year. I think it was actually going to be more of his team to to shine a little bit. But yeah, with you know, with, with Betty Yako leaving, you get Muhammad to come in there, um, and he doesn't have to be. He can work into his role because let's be honest, we did not expect heading into the season Noah Clowney to be Noah Clowney. You know what I mean? We were expecting you know him to get minutes, but we certainly weren't expecting him to basically be you know the the second, third, top three option on that team last year. So this guy can come in, play as much as he needs to, and you know try to play his way into more minutes because obviously Grant Nelson's going to hog him. Pringle, if he can stay out of foul trouble, he's certainly going to hog him as well. There you go. That's uh, kind of what you're looking at for your front court. And there's some newcomers, some other guys that, you know, every year it seems like. And I think Clowney was a, a case of this a year ago even uh, that come in a little bit more advanced, a little bit more SEC ready than you might have anticipated. So we'll see how that plays out with some of the newcomers to the program as well. Let's bounce back to some football, Tim. Let's talk some reasonable expectations for the Alabama outside linebackers during the upcoming season. Of course, Alabama loses Will Anderson, but plenty of talent returning. Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, Q Robinson, Keanu Coat, Jeremiah Alexander. We saw Quay Roussal make his practice debut in March and April at the Capstone. And that's before you take into account a couple of elite edge guys coming in in Keon Keeley and Yonze Pierre. So, uh, understanding that when you look at Turner and Braswell as potentially your top two going into the season and understanding that they combined for six and a half seas- sacks last season, um, what, what are you what are you anticipating from those guys and, and really this position in general? Yeah, I, I like the group. I mean, obviously, Will Anderson, you know, everybody's going to say that Dallas was opened up a little bit because of Will, and it's probably true to some degree, but I think Dallas, you know, in his own right, you know, we knew coming in, Dallas was a highly recruited guy, huge fight there, especially with uh, with uh, Miami, Florida, those schools are trying to to keep him at home. Obviously, they're the big name. Braswell's the guy I keep, when I see him, and he has small flashes that makes me think he's a possible first-round pick. Like, he has moments where he does that. I'm hoping he can, he can, uh, 
jump into that this year. But again, you know, I'm a freshman guy. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, you know, what are, what are these freshmen going to do? And also, you know, you mentioned Pierre Keon, but you know, Quay Russo's in there. Jeremiah Alexander's played, but not really played. So those are four guys I'm really, you know, really keeping my eyes on because it's not going to surprise me if one of those kinds of move kind of moves ahead of a couple of upperclassmen and separates herself a little bit from the pack. I mean, obviously Keon Keeley's a guy you you have to watch physically. I think he's top five, you know, I think fourth in the country or something, and number one rush in, but a big guy, flexible, um, got some bend, got some speed, and another, you know, nasty type player. And Robinson, you know, Q Robinson, you know, what are we going to get out of him? I mean, <laughs> he had 10 sacks in the spring game. I know the spring game's not the end-all, be-all, but he sure looked good, you know, out there on the field. He did. And, um, you know, you got to take the run game into account here, too, with these guys, because I didn't think that was an area Alabama was good enough defensively a year ago. Edge setting, right? And it's not just limited to the outside linebackers. People hear edge setting and they think, well, it's defensive ends, outside linebackers. And that's that's a big, big part of it. Defensive backs have to be able to set an edge. Corners uh, in going against opposing uh, wide receivers in the run game and the quick game. you got to be able to get physical out there on the perimeter. And, and it's not just a physical thing. Uh, it's a discipline thing. It's an assignment thing. Uh, and, and you've got to be uh, locked in yeah, to those things and, and not bust and not commit penalties and things like that. you got to be willing. You know, there's, that's, yep. a lot of that's like rebounding. It's, you know, sealing that edge is like effort. You got to be willing to go in there. And again, you know, we, you know, we've talked about this before. You are jousting. You are running into each other. And then you're sumo wrestling. You're battling for position. You're using leverage. It's mm-hmm. where those hands come in. You know, you see guys like that. But big difference, a defensive back pushing that wide receiver into the backfield. And we saw it in reverse this year where a lot of those little bubbles and screens that we had where that, you know, that lead blocker would get pushed in the backfield and have the offensive play blown up. So that's the same thing you want on defense. Get that wide receiver behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, that changes that whole play. It does. And uh, it is outside linebacker week at BamaOnline.com. Our team guys are chipping in different angles related to those outside linebackers. And I think you hit on a good point about, you know, when you're an outside linebacker, even a Dallas Turner, and you're 245 pounds, uh, you're physically equipped to handle a lot. But when that pulling guard comes from across the formation, you got to be ready to slam the door and play with technique and be physical simultaneously. Not easy to do in the run game. And when you look at this schedule for Alabama, Tim, Quinn Ewers in Texas early, Ole Miss shortly after that. A&M in early um, October before Tennessee comes to Tuscaloosa with that offense. Uh, these guys collectively need to be playing at a very high level uh, when, when when the season gets underway. There's there's not a lot of time to sort of figure this out. And, there, and at this point, with Turner and Braswell especially, as much as they played and considering their former five-star prospects in their own right, they, they shouldn't – they should hit the ground running, shouldn't they? starting with Middle Tennessee. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a lot of these guys, and they're going through, and again, we talk about the, you know, you notice Alabama, when there's competition, there it's a better, you know, obviously that's at any school, so it's not just Alabama, but with Bama, we've noticed that competition pushes guys, and I think you have positions, competition at each position across the field, so they're going to have to be a good player to play. 
there's no, hey, I can play. Nobody else is going to be able to take this from, you know, we went through that with Diggs at Alabama, I felt like, and, and uh, his counterpart who ended up not getting Savion, who didn't get drafted, kind of like nobody else to compete with them. So, yeah, having those guys out there coming in mentally to play. I know Alabama focused a lot last year on the mental aspect of recruiting, actually the last two years. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's guys coming in mentally ready to play and compete. And, you know, that was a common theme, too. Have you noticed that with the quotes? They talk about wanting to be pushed. They want to talk about wanting to be challenged. Alabama's the best. You know, if I play there, I'm the best. So they're going after a certain mindset, not just a skill set now. No doubt. And maturity, a big part of it at outside linebacker, as the case at most positions. But physically, and as you've talked about, mentally, where are you at? It'll still be very fascinating, though, even though guys like Keeley and Pierre were summer enrollees how quickly might they impact this situation, which is we outline no shortage of talent and no shortage of guys who've played important football between Turner and Braswell. So uh, very interesting position. Coleman Hutzler, your position coach there, I'd say in a great position, but at the same time, when you have that sort of talent at your spot, if the numbers don't correspond with that talent, uh, that's when you usually hear from it, from our friends there. Yeah. <laughs> on the round table. Yeah. No so uh, as we move on here on T Watts and TR on the Bama online podcast, before we get to the BOL mailbag, we're streaming service fans here on the program, as you might've guessed by now, if you haven't listened to the program previously, well, it's kind of what we're into. So I wanted to ask you, Tim, what's the latest streaming service that you've added to your sort of uh, your repertoire there? Ted, we added uh, Epics on Amazon Prime for like $5.99 a month. There's a show called From. From I'm out here giving it a French type, French accent, but it uh, called From. Stephen King's a huge fan. I'm a Stephen King fan. It stars uh, has Michael from Lost. If you're familiar with him, he's in it, and it's a horror story. So I wanted to see season two. So I got the I got it thinking I would watch it and uh, be done with it after a month. But they have some good shows. From's a good show. Godfather of Harlem. You know what I mean? You get you uh, you have a good crime story. Forrest Whitaker, who I'm a big fan of. The cast is good. Bumpy Johnson. But it had a show that I didn't know was on there. I'd seen it previously somewhere else called Perpetual Grace. Hmm. And it is a I, I beg people to watch it because it is really a show. It is. There's a lot happening in that. Um, obviously won't get, I'm not going to give too much away, but if people watch it. So Epics, we tried that and have had some good shows on there. There's another show called Get Shorty on there. And if you like the movie and want an extended version, it stars uh, the dude from Everybody Loves Raymond. And uh, he's in it as a Gene uh, Hackman character from the movie. But they have good shows on there. So kind of branched out, wanted to see, started with the show from, and then it kind of just took off from there. You know, I'm uh, I'm going to get laughed at for this, but uh, Hulu is one that I've, uh, I've come around to lately. And The Bear took me there, uh, the, the the great show. Um, that, have, that's, you, that, have you got – are you through season two? Oh, it's 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 great. The, the Thanksgiving episode oh. in season two is up there with Pine Barrens and Dude, The Sopranos for me. A, that was a movie. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen it three <laughs> times. That was a movie. And, you know, somebody. How about Jamie Lee Curtis in that episode? Or just any of them, really. Bob Odenkirk, for crying out loud. 
seriously, it's anybody, and, and at some point I'm worried it'll be after she passed away, but Jamie Lee Curtis is a GOAT. She is unbelievable. Her career, dude, for her career has been literally amazing. And she's not somebody really like doing a lot of work on herself. Trying, She is what she is. She's funny. She's a great actress. Um, I mean, she's really had an unbelievable career considering, you know, when she started, she was just screaming really loud, you know, in, in movies. And to see her go from that to all the, ver you know, she's did a lot of stuff now, but she's absolutely fantastic in that show and the finale. And it was the Christmas episode. I said it was the Thanksgiving episode. It's Christmas, it's Christmas. because uh, it's called Fishes, the name of the episode. It's, it's uh, the, I guess, what, the Seven Fishes of yeah, seven Christmas? Fishes, yeah. It's yeah. episode six. And see, it's just John Bernthal is amazing. Um it's just an incredible episode, but the show is great. But that particular episode—that's the thing. Is epic. Yeah, it's very authentic. You know what I mean? Like, there's characters, and for those not familiar with the show, if you saw the show Shameless on Showtime, which is another um, pretty good wild show, very original. Lip. Show. Yeah, yeah. yeah Philip named Lip, so he's good in it. But yeah, Hulu. Here's the shows you. I want you to watch what we do in Shadows. I want you to try that. So write that down. All right. It's coming out, and tonight's the start of the new season. We'll go ahead and catch up. I want to know what you think about that. I'm not going to tell. I, I think you're going to love it. I'm not going to tell you anything That's about it. That's a Hulu show? Yeah, it's definitely. It's a, yeah. Well, I think a lot of these are FX shows. I'll give you a good uh, – it's an older show that, that's run its course. It's it's done. It's been done. It's Shrill. It's a good date night show, funny Shrill. show. We saw that. Shrill. I think there were three seasons of it, you know, younger, single – woman going through the yes, trials and tribulations yes, based yes. out in like portland oregon i think is where yes. it was set and yes. uh, pretty, a funny show Absolutely. funny show too yeah. don't know most didn't know most of the cast it's one of those when you know you're sitting there with the wife and the significant other and you're trying to figure out what might fall in the middle for the two of you it's a good compromise sort of option it's a great show i, I enjoyed it i agree they have you know you know i have this thing where like I grew up so much. Every almost seemed like every female role was just the worst role ever. You know, like people right. talk about Skyler on. Uh, well, it was all it was always the same role. It was literally the same role. So when we get yeah. anything where they're different, there's another show on Hulu called Pin 15. That's that's pretty wild because you've got two grown women acting like their self in like high school or middle school. And um, it's kind of spelled Pin 15, but it spells penis. So it's kind of like <laughs> play on words, and it's two comedians, and dude, they are great, and they're mm -hmm. women playing like versions of themselves when they're younger. But who? It all kind of stems from Sex in the City years oh, ago, right? Gosh, and then yeah. then you had Girls, um, that was a, an HBO show, I believe. And uh, I agree, man. It, it's it's good to see. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just I, I like them. I like it funny. Um, mm -hmm. Uh. There's another show on Hulu. Well, the Hulu's got a lot of good shows, but Dave's one and Shadows is one I want you to try. I think you would like both of those. Dave takes a minute to get into. That's the rapper Little Dicky. Um, but after you get past season one, it's, it's a lot deeper than most people think. I got a guilty pleasure on Hulu, too. Dark Side of the Ring. It's an it's a it's a vice show oh, that on wrestling. Hulu. Yes, it's that the it's the wrestling documentaries. Josh yeah. Pace. Josh Pate's dumbass had me watch that. You know, Josh, <laughs> former friend at 24-7, good friend, 
Love the guy. Still a friend, just Talk at the other network. Why I say that? I say that with affection. Talked me into watching this show. Well, actually, he also. I think he really, he really manipulated me mentally. Uh oh. And um, he kept talking about wrestling, so I started watching. And there was a there was a black dude wrestler who cut himself on the forehead so many times his head just it's I think it was Abdullah the Butcher probably yeah I don't know this guy was like jumping I mean like yeah paralyzing people um chainsaw jumping uh, through like rubber. yeah that was uh I forget that wasn't Abdullah but I know the episode you're Dude, talking this about. guy that was so I watched that episode first and then I got into the rest and um yeah definitely not a definitely not a fake sport no uh, the 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 the, the story, the backstories of these these wrestlers, it's it's predictable, I'd say, in most instances, but uh, it's still pretty fascinating. But, and it's I'm, a guilty outcome, pleasure. I'll tell you this: the outcome might be determined, but they the oh the brutality of it. These yeah. guys, I mean, they the, some of what the they stuff, go through. Yeah, yeah, it is a guilty pleasure, though. I agree. I started watching and kind of kind of got amazed, and Payton told me all that stuff. You know, he told me like. Now these guys really get hurt. And I look up and they're dying. Oh, well, the accumulation of the blows that they take and they yeah. do it every freaking, are they used to, they don't do it every night like they used to. No, it's not. Well, that's, but it, it, you, you had, you had guys wrestling 300 nights a year, you know, back in the day or 300 events and, uh, yeah, the pain medications and, and things like that add up, unfortunately. Hey, uh, let's get into the round table mailbag on this latest edition of T Watts and TR Tim. Uh, we'll start with young Skywalker here. Uh, and he wants to know most likely to flip their current commitments, uh, to Alabama, Woodyard, Riddick, Perry Thompson, Ellis Robinson, most likely. How would you rank those? Well, Perry's committed. So on this or list, flip their flip a commitment from Alabama to another school or flip from another school to Alabama, I guess. He's just saying flip, period. Right. So some of their committed Woodward's committed to Georgia. I would say there's a that that's a battle. I'm not I mean, that's a battle. Georgia knows they're in a battle. Bama knows they're battling. Um, you know, I've talked to Rusty Menzel over our dog side, Jake Rowe covers recruiting over there. And definitely it's a battle. I would say there's a, you know, there's definitely, you know, I would say 50, 50 chance there ranking them wise. I think Riddick out of the four Wood, Woodyard, Riddick, Perry Thompson, Ellis Robinson. I think Riddick for sure is a good 90% candidate to flip from Georgia. Now, whether he goes to Bama, whether he goes to Auburn is, is still debatable. We've still got a couple of weeks until that decision. It, it it ebbs and flows pretty consistently every three to five days with that. Alabama was a heavy trend. Auburn was trending. But I think out of this list, Riddick's probably the most guaranteed. Even Georgia seems to think they're out of it. Again, talking to Rusty and Jay, Georgia seems they're out of it. Um, Ellis Robinson, to me, is the least likely to commit. I feel like he's pretty firm in his commitment to Georgia. So the two most likely, Woodyard, I would say Bama's definitely got a shot. Auburn definitely is pushing for, I keep saying definitely, but Perry Thompson is looking at Auburn. They're a heavy factor into this. And again, you know, you look at guys, you hear commitment rumors, you hear decommitment rumors. So it's hard to really pinpoint because these schools are jockeying so hard. I would say that the most likely is uh, Riddick to flip from his current commitment. 
Big Bama boy here in the mailbag. If possible, guys, I'd like to hear a breakdown of the type of defensive schemes, including blitz packages that Kevin Steele is likely to employ at Bama based upon his past history of being a defensive coordinator. Well, B3, uh, or Triple B, as I like to refer to Big Bama boy, I think I don't think it's going to be this big departure uh, schematically and uh, approach-wise from what we've seen with previous Alabama defenses under Nick Saban. I mean, there is a history between Kevin and Nick, and they've obviously worked together uh, on multiple occasions, going back to Nick's start at Alabama all those years ago. So, you know, I think when you look at it on the field, in terms of alignments and scheme, uh, you know, they, in the rare occasions when they're in base personnel, it'll be that three, four sort of look. Uh, but a lot of the four, two, five with the nickel back, the star position and heavily involved. And as we saw in the spring game, anyway, uh, one thing I'll say about Kevin, he wasn't afraid to bring those inside linebackers right up the a gaps. Now could be a couple of reasons for that could be that they need to improve, uh, as a blitzing defense, I think there is a, an argument that certainly could be made in that regard, especially with their in guy, inside guys. But, you know, we saw Brian Branch as an effective pass rusher, and we saw it in the spring game. Malachi Moore had success blitzing from the star position. So I think you're going to see a continuation uh, a lot of ways of what we've seen. But, um, you know, just just being more effective and, and the kind of guys uh, that they're going to have carrying this stuff out. Tim, I don't know. What do you think? You, I mean, we, we've seen this with previous coordinators. How many defensive coordinators has Nick had now? Um, and there hasn't been this sort of overhaul schematically, so I'm not expecting that to be the case with Kevin back in, in the fold. No, and that's another you know myth we've dealt with. We're like, it's not Saban's offense. It's not Saban's defense. It's the court. Well, I think defense is less talked about. Obviously, it's Saban's defense. I think he's going to trust Steele. I know Steele's an inside backer kind of guy, um, even though he's a Roman, uh, roaming uh, defensive coordinator, not really doing just one position. But I know he's he he you know he flops back to that inside backer. So yeah, bringing them. I know he's aggressive. I mean, you remember the uh, you know you can pinpoint a lot of games, but you remember how aggressive he was against Joe Burrow's uh, 2019 mm-hmm. team that was just incredible. In fact, it was the only team that even remotely. Not only did he remotely slow him down, they were in that game. Was that 23-20 or something game? I mean, that was a very close game with LSU and Auburn back then. And the best, you know, I still don't know who's better, the 2019 LSU offense or the 2020 Alabama offense. But LSU's offense was just, you know, just as good as any I've ever seen um, in college football. So I think he's definitely going to be an aggressive guy. But again, he's a, you know, he's an old school guy, so he's going to pick his moments. He is. And uh, again, I I think the execution is what needs to clean up as much as anything else. I think positionally on defense, how much they can uh, become more sound in in what they do, because talent last year wasn't an issue. They they still had breakdowns. Uh, They still committed too many penalties. Uh, They weren't disciplined enough for a team as as experienced as they were as a unit, as experienced as they were. I think they uh, I think they fell a little bit short. I think what's going to help Alabama defensively, if they can get through Texas and and win that game, um, you know, and then they start thinking about October and even Ole Miss in the late September, 
there's a game that could help them with Tennessee, and that's South Florida. I know that's a game you kind of overlook, but you know South Florida added Alex Golish as its new head coach, and he's previously of Tennessee. So you got to think South Florida offensively is going to be a mirror image in terms of approach to what Tennessee likes to do. So you could get um, a pre-prep, I guess you could say, for Tennessee, uh, courtesy of South Florida in that game after Texas. So a lot to consider for this defense as it moves into the 2023 season. Also in the mailbag here, we check in once again with young Skywalker, which of these position battles do you feel like will be the most intense and a prediction on who comes out on top fifth and sixth defensive backs. That's the star and money positions um, inside linebacker left tackle. Um, we'll, we'll go with just a couple of these. We'll do one of these on offense and we'll do one of these on defense. I think the fifth and sixth defensive backs, Tim, it seems like Earl little juniors in a good place when it comes to that star position, um, that sixth defensive back spot is, I think, really up in the air. Uh, you add a guy like uh, Key from UAB, a safety that could factor into that, another safety type. Christian Story, obviously, could be a factor in that. Um, so th- there are some things to consider there. What about left tackle? If, if you had to pick a guy right now opposite J.C. Latham, or maybe it's J.C. Latham at left tackle that you would go with, how do you see that playing out, Tim? Yeah, I think Latham. I'm going to go with Latham at left tackle. Now, I still want to say, I mean, a lot's to be determined. I don't feel that Pritchard – I know his spring game. I'm going to say this as long as I can. I know his spring game wasn't ideal. I understand he struggled. You know, Q Robbins especially beat him around that edge, got around him. But there was something Alabama saw to get him to be the starter at left left tackle. So there's definitely some talent. There's uh, for sure got for for sure something the coaching staff likes about him. Now, whether or not he can handle that left edge, I don't know. I know Latham. I feel strongly Latham could do it. So, again, you've got Proctor factoring in. I don't really see Proctor jumping in on the left tackle as a true freshman. I think Wright would be a little bit safer. So I'll go with Latham. You know, it's probably, you know, it's probably like that because he's simply the best offensive tackle they've got. PGN Diesel in the mailbag wants to have us talk about a quick rundown of Alabama's history with under-the-radar type recruits, you know, guys like Eddie Jackson, Josh Jacobs. This in light of the Fonga commitment, Isaiah Fonga, the defensive lineman who flipped from Utah to Alabama, as we talked about earlier in the podcast. I don't know, Tim, what about a guy like Bradley Bozeman? That, that to me, is a guy that fits that bill uh, to a T. Yeah, I think Bradley would, you know, everybody assumed because Bradley, you know, it's pretty funny. Bradley and Reuben Foster were were pretty close. And uh, I think a lot of people just assumed they were taking Bozeman to uh, help with Reuben. And maybe they did. But I mean, the guy still in the NFL has had a really good career, had a good career at Alabama. It was more this was more for me, it was more of a uh, it's obviously more of a Shuler, but Shula, but I mean, Javier Arenas, is that maybe the number one? I was, that was where I was going next. You just read my mind, Tim. Absolutely. Because yeah, I mean, we were around for that recruitment, and we understood yeah, yeah, yes, kind of what it took to get him approved um, to, to, to a committable offer, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dave Unger, you know, friend of uh, BOL back in the day, and he was recruiting that area and, you know, said, like, look, take a look at this guy. And I was like, crap, this guy's really good, committed to 
was it FIU? Where was he committed? Florida. Yeah, Atlanta. it was Florida International originally. So yep. He's committed there now. The funniest part of Javier's commitment was, you know, I I went, you know, back in the day, I got all the film for Rivals. It seemed like you remember that um, was getting filmed. A lot of the film that went in the database, I was a big part of that. So I got Javier's film, watched it, sent it to the office. They watched it. They bumped him to a three star, three star. Javier Arenas bumped to a three star and Auburn fans, including the publishers at the time, lost their mind. It was like he moved to third in the country. And um, obviously, three-star Alabama fans should have lost their mind because he obviously is a lot better than a three-star. When he committed, he was a two-star. Talent was, you know, you know, even talking to him, you kind of got the feel like this guy's a very serious-minded, one-track-minded guy. Football was it for him at the time. So, but, I, yeah, that was a weird recruitment. You know, two-stars committing. Bama fans, <laughs> I had Alabama fans mad they're taking a two-star. And had Auburn fans just livid that he was a three star. So it was quite the uh it was quite the emotional swing. And then of course he was a you know fantastic defensive back and punt returner and a second round draft pick, I think, in the NFL and stuck around a while now he's coaching. So he's the one that jumps to mind. But I mean, obviously he mentioned some good ones. Josh Jacobs. Love to tell that story of how Jeremy Pruitt went to Oklahoma. And I'll be honest, I don't even know why Pruitt had Oklahoma. I never really, really thought about him having that area. But apparently he was in Oklahoma, and Pruitt had this thing. And a lot of coaches do this, too. He would ask the coaches that he was going to see a kid who was the best player he played against. And then he would research him, where he went to two or three schools, I believe, and they all said Josh Jacobs. And so he's like, Josh Jacobs? I'll go check out Josh Jacobs. He liked him. Sent him to Burton. Burton liked him. You know, you know, they I don't know if they went and saw him or brought him. No, they brought him in for a visit and committed him. And obviously, you know, just an incredible, incredible find um, when it comes to that. But there's been a lot. I mean, the thing with the Bama recruiting is Alabama recruits so well. I mean, that old you look at that old staff they used to have. You had Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt. You know, this uh, so many great assistant coach recruiters on top of University of Alabama and on top of Nick Saban. A lot of things working for him. But a lot of times they're ahead of the curve. That's what we're you know, we've talked about before. Sometimes Alabama's ahead of the curve on a on a on a Dallas Wormack or somebody who's a three star. There's another three star to end up the like, ninth pick in the draft. So um, they do a really good job of filtering these guys out and to them. To the Alabama staff, these aren't like un, these aren't guys that are underrated or sleepers. These are guys they think can play. So it's a totally different mindset than what the fans are seeing or thinking. Good stuff. Alex Nagy here in the roundtable mailbag asks: Can Jermaine Burton develop a bond with whoever emerges as the starting quarterback? Can he become a senior leader for the offense and take his game up ten notches? Not one or two, but ten notches. Alex says. Even though he's going to be dealing with an inexperienced signal caller, do you believe he falls down the pecking order? I've said it before. Alabama absolutely needs the wide receiver position to help elevate the quarterback spot this time around. Last four, five, six years, that hasn't been the case. And really, they complemented each other so well because you had rooms for all time when you looked at both the quarterback and wide receiver spots. And so... Absolutely, the expectation is going to be for Jermaine Burton to be a top two or three guy. Now, I think Malik Benson coming in, how that impacts that dynamic, I think they can complement each other extremely well, along with Ja'Cory Brooks 
in some of these other guys, Tim, Isaiah Bond, uh, as far as their respective skill sets. I think Benson, in terms of stretching the defense and having the size to also get things done in the intermediate game, can do that. Uh, I think Jermaine can be uh, you know, maybe more of a volume guy. Uh, but I think yards per catch for all those guys is going to be the number to keep an eye on because if they're running the football like you kind of expect them to run it this season, and there should be some big plays in the passing game for multiple wide receivers on this team. Yeah, I'm still watching Kendrick Law. I don't know why I've got a little. Yeah, He's the guy I just feel like can slip out of that backfield. He's going to be a willing blocker. He's certainly a big, thick, muscular, strong kid. Um not scared to be physically strong. And I think he's, I don't think he's going to worry going across the field, down the sideline. Well, he don't, I think his safeties as worried about as about a law as he is the safety. So I think he's a guy, but yeah, Burton does need that connection, but you got to wonder how connected can he be if you can't really get completely connected to Bryce Young. And we, we saw some like yeah. miscommunications for me, this that for Burton, it's simply don't drop the football. You're talented. You can work your way open, um, you know, catch the football. That's kind of nagged his career to some degree for me with him. But I don't, you know, I just think, you know, if he runs his route, he's got experience. Again, just catch the football. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be a 60-70 reception guy, but I don't know if they need him to be that. I don't know if they really need any of these wide receivers with this offense to be uh, that proficient, that prolific uh, in terms of production, but as you said, when the opportunity comes your way, finish the play, run the right route to start with, and then finish the play. Um, that's what they need out of these wide receivers in 2023. Here's a little retro question from Juice5297. If Paul Tyson were still around, Tim, where would he fall in this quarterback battle? If Paul Tyson were still in Tuscaloosa, think he'd have a shot at this vacancy, or do you think it might be still one of the other guys? Yeah, I still think it'd be one of the other guys. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think it would be Paul. You know, I think Paul had a had uh, what was it Arizona State? He had an opportunity. Yep, he's had opportunities, um, but I do think they're looking for a more dynamic quarterback, and I think the guys that we look at all. Three guys that are competing for this job are guys that can pull it down. Tyson, to me, in high school, was a good quarterback. I mean, he was just, you know, I won't say he's stiff, but he was that big quarterback that you and I used to, you know, we grew up watching. Everybody was six foot four, built the same way. They didn't really run, tuck the ball, and run that often. Um, but no, I don't think I don't think Paul would really be in the race. That's just my opinion. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jaden Daniels leave Arizona State to go to LSU. So you had the opening at Arizona State last season. And with that, Tyson saw action in one game for the Sun Devils last season. That was the season opener against Northern Arizona. You know where Paul Tyson is now? He's at Clemson. He's with Dabo. Transferred over to Clemson. So I mean, it's, he's got – I mean, that's the thing. You know, the, I think a lot of people – and it's probably really hard, you know, for Tyson. I mean, you know – the connection to Bear Bryant, the university and all, it's definitely really hard to deal with. But he had legitimate offers. I mean, we we weren't just adding offers in the database. We were confirming with other staffs they wanted him. LSU was going to recruit him. I remember it's kind of funny. LSU 
during early in that cycle, we're going <laughs> to they were going to recruit Talia and they were going to recruit Talia and Tyson, who had two of the strong, you know, very strong connections to University of Alabama at the time. But we know LSU, we know Notre Dame like, you know, Tyson, there was other schools. So it wasn't like Alabama was the only school recruiting the guy, you know, so he had offers. And again, the quarterback position's hard mentally. You know, physically, you get one shot, you get one quarterback is going to be your starter in there, you know, in that game. So it's, you know, it's a thin line between, you know, being successful and not successful. But um, I mean, Clemson, that's a good place to learn. And, it would, you know, worst case scenario is probably setting itself up to be a coach down the road as well. Could um, be. Just playing, yeah. your, you know, playing career is done. A lot of Bama connections in Clemson, South Carolina these days, for sure. Absolutely. So makes sense on multiple fronts and I think you said it in relation to this offense in 2023 where Paul's skill set probably wouldn't line up well enough because as we're anticipating the quarterback being involved in the run game I wouldn't say that's necessarily Paul Tyson's forte as we round out the roundtable mailbag on this latest edition of T Watts and TR uh, Bama Lou essentially asking about the marriage of the offensive coordinator with the offensive line coach. Very important. I mean, philosophy wise, you obviously want those guys to be in line. There's a reason why you've seen in the past, like Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone, they were kind of a package deal a couple of seasons ago before that Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle flood, right? They matched up well. Um, so Bama lose wondering with Tommy Reese now, and Eric Wolford, and with Reese's background and the expectation, I guess, that Alabama is going to be a run-first offense, uh, do, do you think that this could pair better than maybe it did previously with O'Brien and Wolford and being so quarterback-centric? I got to think, Tim, each and every offensive line coach out there, it's a, it's his dream to work with a coordinator who wants to be physical and establish the run, right? Yeah, I think that uh, um, with Wolf, you know, he wants to be physical. He wants to push. He wants to fight in the trenches. You mean, see the guys he's getting. And also, that's his personality. I mean, this is a guy, The he thinks and acts like an offensive lineman. Find any, any part of his career where he's coaching, he thinks like an offensive lineman. There's not a lot of finesse in his game. You know what I mean? I don't think he's a guy that you got to go. What did you mean by that, coach? I think you know exactly when he speaks what he means. So you're seeing that mentality kind of carry over here with the physicality. And also, I mean, if I'm Tommy Reese, I'm excited about that. I mean, you got two of the top five running backs in the nation and the last recruiting class. You've got a quite a quite, you know, quite the stacked roster of guys. And you've got guys that can catch the ball out of the backfield run between the tackle, you got fourth and one guys, you got guys that, you know, you know, can, you know, can tote the mail 70 yards. I mean, you got a lot of things happening in that backfield. And again, you're bringing in, you know, some wide receivers. So there's a lot of options. And again, I don't want to disparage Notre Dame, but I don't think Tommy Reese has ever had this level of athlete to work with. And, um, you know, that wide receiver room, well, I know they're not the right outs. I know right now, none of those guys are, you know, none of those guys are Judy, you know, Ruggs, Smitty, Waddle. I know that. Those guys were as elite. They were all top 12 picks in the NFL draft. But some of them, they're fast. You know, these guys are <laughs> – there's a lot of speed on that team. You got athletes. I mean, you had a little bit rawer, you know. And, of course, if you're an Alabama fan, you are spoiled by the rideouts. 
But there's just not many of those. You know, Ohio State seems to get them all, and Alabama used to get them all, you know. So you're not getting those guys like that right now. So they're going to, you know, being able to run the ball and then surprise those guys. I mean, if you're pounding the rock, play action, and you see Isaiah Bond on a, you know, streaking down the field, you're going to have a good chance of of uh, complete long passes. Yeah, a lot to consider, no doubt about it. And a lot has been covered on the latest edition of T. Watts and TR, Tim. Uh, I, I would say so long, but I, I don't think it's going to be very long before we link back up, not with commitment season in full effect, but been a lot of fun, man. We covered a lot of ground and uh, a lot of ground will continue to be covered with us right there at BamaOnline.com. And again, right? The, the round table. I mean, that's, that's where you want to post up with us. The premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. Come hang out with Tim, myself and our expansive crew these days at BamaOnline.com. Absolutely. We'll see you guys on the round table. And I promise you this, if you got a question, one of us can answer it. Joseph Hayden, <laughs> Andrew Bone, Charlie Potter, so many guys, Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein, Travis and myself. We are glad. We love the discussion. Me and Travis, especially, we got old. So we're on that front porch talking all the time. You're welcome to join us. Yeah, it's like barbershop, right? Just yeah. sit around, kind of mm, talk yeah. about it, chop it up. Yeah, I mean, half our show isn't even planned. I don't, I mean, we, we come in here with three <laughs> topics and talk for an hour and 15 minutes and bore everybody to death. So, yeah, our show sheet is, uh, it, you wouldn't think this, this podcast would cover as much, but it's two it text does. messages. <laughs> That's how we. That's how uh, we have a, hey, let's game plan. Text, text. Okay, done. See you at 830. Yeah. Hashtag true story. I can uh, confirm. Appreciate it, man. And we'll see you guys on the roundtable. Yep. Tim Watts. I'm Travis Schreier. Thanks again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Till next time. So long, everybody. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 